Hey, this is a Hakawadi production. You're listening to an excerpt called Tango Swing, the fifth track on Qatari composer Dana Alfardan's 2016 album Sandstorm. It was recorded with the Qatar Philharmonic Orchestra. Dana is known for her rich and evocative world music, but also for co-writing the first Arab-composed musical to be produced in London's West End in August 2018. Broken Wings was co-written with another talented Arab composer, Nadim Naman, and it was inspired by Khalil Gibran's first book. In November of 2019, It was presented at the Katara Opera House in Qatar to a sold-out audience. Her latest projects include a much-anticipated new album called Indigo. That music will be turned into a fully immersive show that will include light, color, and sound. And a new musical is on the way, this time inspired by one of the other most famous poets in the world, Rumi. I'm so excited to be introducing you to her. Please welcome the very talented Dana Alfardan. Hi, Dana. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Great. Pleasure to speak to you. The pleasure is all mine. Um, Dana, first of all, <laughs> I just discovered your work. And I have to say, I'm really impressed by how out of the box you are with everything you're doing, especially for the Middle East. You're really taking music to the next level by creating these immersive experiences. Um, as far as you know, was Broken Wings the first real musical to ever be performed in the Middle East? Um, first of all, thank you so much for your, your kind words. I really appreciate that. Um, Broken Wings is the first West End original music, uh, original musical created by Middle Easterners to be performed in the Middle East. Um, my co-writer Nadim Naman is originally Lebanese. His father is Lebanese and uh, he's... Um, he was all he was perform he was performing as a, as a Raoul in the Phantom of the Opera for a few years. So was always um, working with uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber in the creative backdrop, as well as you know acting in the actual show. And when we met each other, that was our mandate was basically to create um, material based on Arab heritage and based around Arab inspired content to export not only to the West but to also bring back to the Middle East. Hmm. Um, and I know you're working on a on a new musical now, uh, which I want to talk about a little bit later. And you're also working on your fourth album, which really piqued my curiosity. It's called Indigo. And you want it to be performed as a multi-sensorial kind of show that includes lights and colors to accompany the music. What's the idea behind adding these visual elements? Um, why colors? So basically, indigo is the only color that is the color that the human eye is the least sensitive to. And in addition to that, um, the human eye doesn't absorb 99% of the white light spectrum. And so that goes to suggest that we have a limited capacity to um, absorb information, to retain and absorb informa information. And so the idea is basically to expand that capacity, to increase our connectivity within ourselves and therefore 
with our outer surrounding. And of course, that has um, some basis in the fact that I was I was writing Rumi, the musical, and Rumi's whole philosophy is based on that as well, is cultivating the space within rather than placing all of your emphasis on outside forces. So basically expanding the intuitive force, um, all of your sensorial perceptions. And I, as I was embarking on, on the, you know, the task to write my fourth album, everything just happened to take place right at the beginning of lockdown, you know, at a period of time where everything just breaks down around you. And then you're just left with this silence, which can be quite um, intimidating when you're just left, you know, all the noise has been shut out. Um, My first, my first reaction was, okay, what am I going to do? This is quite daunting. But then immediately after that, I felt the sense of relief, not because of COVID, but simply because for the first time I could justifiably stop and not feel guilty about it. You know, not feel guilty about, um, about running along this sort of hectic, um, you know, uh, career and objective orientated life in which all the objectives are based on things outside of you. And so I thought, you know what, what an amazing time to reach within and find that place of stillness. But stillness doesn't actually mean staying still. Stillness means quieting the noise, empowering the inner force, that inner voice that is the most powerful and allowing yourself to cultivate that space whereby, you know, the forces around you naturally converge according to yourself, according to what's ideal for you, your natural path just constructs itself around you. And so for me, I felt, you know what, that's the one thing that I haven't explored with music. There's the sonic element, but now that I'm dealing with it, I'm trying to cultivate all of the senses. I need to expand that outside the confines of, um, of the sonic component and take that elsewhere, really generate another space, really create that transcendental experience. And so indigo is not only the color that we're least sensitive to, but also it's also philosophically and spiritually, it's the color of your intuition. It's the color of sincerity. It's the third eye chakra. It's the color of wisdom. So indigo is the song before the last. The last song is called stillness. And once you reach indigo, then you reach that point that you can really hear, really internalize, really absorb, and then really connect. And once you're there, everything else is still. And you have space to grow as a human being, as an individual. So that was the idea behind it. Hopefully it works. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's, that's down to the listener and um, the audience to, uh, to interpret. So how exactly will you do that? Is it kind of like, I mean, if you think about like pop music concerts, uh, they have all these colorful lights going on during the show. I don't know how much thought they put into it. Is it a similar uh, concept in terms of the way that you're going to actually make it happen? Well, I deal with, um, this is based on Goethe's color spectrum, um, but I don't begin with red. I begin with green. Each color has a philosophy. And as you begin the show, we have the classical element as well as the electronic production associated with it. And the electronic production is there to remove you from the organic. So you have this relationship between your organic environment and this outer sort of space where there's no limitation, where you haven't, you, you're not, you're not confined by any boundaries of your organic environment and space. So So that's where the transcendental 
point comes in. It's very filmic. It's it's quite epic in its um, in its construction, and then the music. Each song has the has its um, corresponding color. We begin with Harlequin, which is green, um, and green is the color of creativity. It's a fertile environment. It's abundant creative force. So we begin with this fertile environment. We can't move forward unless we know that the soil, that what we're cultivating is on fertile soil. And so that's the first impulse. That's where you first have to construct the environment by placing your intentions to create a fertile environment for creative growth and for an abundant um, source of creativity within. And from that, we move to the color red. Red, the, the second song is called Chromium. Sorry, the first one is Crystalline. That's before we have the fertile soil because the intention is first to increase our absorption of light, to create a space where we have maximum uh, light absorption and light transmission. Once we have that impulse, once we have that intention, our environment becomes fertile. It becomes fertile soil for creative growth. So we move to green after that. After that, we move to red. Red is then that impulse where you've got your environment, your intentions there, then you take action. So chromium is a trace element, is a chemical trace element that is responsible for the color red in ruby. Um, ruby comes from a stone called corundum, and it's primarily titanium oxide. And when chromium enters the stone, it colors it as a ruby, as red. And so that then goes to suggest um, the power of the individual, the power of an individual entity in shaping its environment. So that's when we we take back our power. We start to understand our, um, we start to understand what the self has to offer, the value that the self has. So why is it that we're returning to the self? Why is it that we're going back within? We first have to recognize because we can really make an impact. You know, the individual has a lot of, um, is potent once we have that, you know, construction of the self. So then you've got red and the majority of this rests around the blue hues. Blue is that color of growth. It's that serene, pure sort of transmission of depth and height at the same time. And as we grow, we encompass both. We are deep and we are, we're tall at the same time. We reach above, we wanna reach, you know, beyond the, the construct we want to reach beyond social constructs. We want to reach beyond um, the limitations that you know the world or structures give you. And so, I'm not saying I'm anti-establishment. I'm just saying that basically, the, the the individual, in order to grow and realize their full potential, we have to understand what is it that that potential is composed of. And we can't do that if we're looking outside, if we're looking at structures. We, we need to look within so we know how best we can contribute to these structures. How best can we impact it? How can we be you know, productive members of our communities? Um, so blue encompasses most of that. One of the pieces in there is called kyanite. And kyanite is a stone that doesn't require any charging. And it's blue as well. It comes primarily in blue. You can get it in other colors. It doesn't require any charging because it doesn't absorb negative energy. You know, with stones, you charge them to sort of like reset the energetic composition of it. If, if you believe that um, stones uh, have this inherent uh, energetic uh, qualities to it. Um, in the show, you're going to be sad in complete darkness. Ideally, the bulk of the shows will take place in the desert because obviously, you know, you have the organic setting and I think it's a 
vast, beautiful, endless stream of, you know, um, of possibility, the desert. And so we would, it would be complete darkness and you are going to be lit up in the orchestra with the colors, the designated colors for each song. And the colors are going to move with the shapes um, in order to, to basically uh, relate the narrative of, of the pieces. And then at the end, yeah, you end with stillness. Wow. I feel like I just went on a journey. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I hope so. Yeah. I'm sure the actual experience will be even much more impactful. You know, it's interesting. There's actually a brand new Thank documentary you. on uh, Netflix with David Attenborough, brand new about animals and how they use color yes. to survive. Yeah. So it seems like colors... I haven't seen it, but I heard about that. Everyone's been... Yeah. It's funny. I'd love to watch it. Yeah. So it's kind of in the same theme and it, color certainly seems more important than what we sometimes think it is. As you said, it's not just just an outside thing, maybe. Um, it has all these, it, it signifies all these deeper things. Absolutely. How we perceive everything says everything about, about us. And color is the most compelling, um, I think, reaction. How we perceive color or whether or not we perceive color says a lot. Right. And then you have people who don't perceive the right colors. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, many artists claim to have something called chromesthesia, which... Synesthesia and chromesthesia, yeah. Such as uh, Beyonce, Billie Eilish, Kanye West seems to be pretty common mm -hmm. where they see notes as colors. Do you have chromesthesia? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was just curious. I would love to. I really, I really want to be put it placed in the ranks of Billie Eilish and, and uh, Beyonce. So I should have actually jumped in and said yes. But um, no, I don't. Uh, the reason that I, I started with the colors was because um because I understood that as I was when lockdown first took place, you know, all the matters that usually would not, all the details that usually wouldn't really, you know, um wouldn't factor you start thinking about your mood matters because every there's nothing on the outside that's going to impact that. So I started to really think about it. I started to think about colors. I started to think about textures. All these things mattered. And uh, then I started reading up on it and I got the book on Goethe's color wheels and, and Newton's color theory and really started looking into it and the significance of colors. And indigo really jumped out at me. Then the notion of the indigo child You know, this, this being, this earthly being that is endowed with these higher powers, you know, with these higher spiritual powers that has, a, that feels like you have a higher calling, like you have, you have this higher mission in life to do something productive, to really make a positive impact and change the, you know, the course of humanity for good. Um, and yeah, it sounds like a, quite an ambitious sort of, uh, fairy tale, like a Superman complex, but, but a lot of people have it in a lot of artists, uh, authors, uh, journalists, such as yourself, you know, you're, I'm sure you have a calling and you, you have this understanding that you're here to, 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 you know, to, to bring certain things to people, to bring information to, to, um, you know, to impact your surrounding. And so it, it's very common. We just don't recognize it or label it or bring that, um, into our daily consciousness and our daily lives. And so this is something that I really wanted to do, just sort of bring back emphasis, um, to these, uh, to these objectives, to these goals. Mm. Tell me about this new musical you're working on, which is inspired by Rumi, the 13th century Persian poet and mystic who everyone knows. But why Rumi? So uh, after Gibran, 
um, after we did Broken Wings, which is the story of Gibran Khalil Gibran, the idea behind that was basically bringing the human being back to the narrative. We all know Gibran. You know, we the, the whole world knows Gibran. Everyone knows what the prophet is, but no one knows the man behind it. And in the Arab world, um, we don't have a relationship in terms of in the media or, you know, in our in our daily lives, you don't have a relationship with these fundamental prolific figures from Arab heritage because there are not human components that resonate in our day-to-day lives. Because right now, what dictates our thoughts and our, our patterns and our behavioral patterns or behavioral systems is the media, obviously. So until that becomes a component of our media consumption, be it on stage or commercial consumption, you know, in terms of uh, uh, culture, um, we'll start to lose touch with that. And also we wanted to take these figures, humanize them, bring their stories to the world and, you know, and export our, export our heritage uh, to the rest of the world. So after that, after Gibran and really, you know, finding this figure that, that, that speaks about all these incredible universal principles, such as love and tolerance and, and unity, um, we realized that unfortunately there isn't much of that out there um, in, you know, in the rest of the world, in the Western dominated media. So we thought, well, great, let's, let's move to the next prolific figure that is well known um, for these principles, for these universal principles. And of course, Rumi pops up. Again, we all know Rumi. We know his famous quotes. We know that he talks about the fact that the whole universe is within Again, this relates to Indigo, so everything just sort of, you know, jumps off of each other and, and is inspired by one another. Um, so Rumi talks about how the whole universe is within, about how you're not a drop in the ocean, you're the entire ocean in a single drop, all these famous quotes that, again, brings back power to the individual. And and the individual, the idea of the individual being empowered, all these liberal principles are, are mainly associated with Western thought. But because we have not created a relationship in our day-to-day lives with these Eastern principles, with you know all these figures from Arab or Islamic heritage, when I say Islamic, I'm talking about the geographical scope, not the theological component, um, from Islamic heritage, uh, we don't... So we, we, we don't uh, bring that into mainstream media. And unless we do that, we lose touch with the fundamental components that have constructed Eastern thought. We lose touch with all of the very important notions that has inspired um, the development of Western thought, that has developed, that inspired the Renaissance, that has inspired all of these fundamental Western cultural movements that took place from the Renaissance to the Enlightenment, um, and then to modern day, basically, to our contemporaries. Um, And so it really is our drive to showcase the natural connectivity between our cultures and the give and take between them rather than a Western-centric approach to, you know, to content in the media. So that was basically our response. Yeah, I find it interesting that Khalil Gibran is, in fact, the third most read poet in the world. That's what I read today. Precisely. He's been called the Shakespeare of the Middle East. And Rumi is pretty much the best-selling poet in the United States. They're both from this part of the world. Yet when people look at the Middle East today, they don't see it as a place for culture. Do you think the Middle East has lost its edge when it comes to culture? I think that right now we're so well um, placed in terms of our, our, our history, in terms of our historical development, you know, we, 
historically, we're at that point right now where we have a we have a stable enough social and and political um, foundation upon which to really start to bring our stories back to life and actually start to export that to the West. So you're absolutely right. They are such fundamental figures, so compelling and so well-known in terms of their names, but we don't engage with them on a daily basis. So unless we do, of course, the rest of the world is not going to place any importance so they they remain as abstract figures, right? Rumi, okay, there's this abstraction that talks about the universe, but what is he? Who is he? You know, what what did he do? He has to be a human figure in order for people to have a relationship with him. Shakespeare, we know his stories. There have been movies. There's been everything. So yeah, I think the Arab world has you know has has taken the time that it needed to construct itself. And, you know, post-colonialism, there was a lot of, of all the, you know, state building exercises that need to take place, um, infrastructural development, so many different components before we get to that point where like, we're like, okay, you know what, we've got the foundations. Now we need to start to construct our culture, identity building. Why are we unique? What makes us unique? Who are we as a people? And that's when we start to bring back our stories. And that's when we start to make our heritage relevant to the rest of the world. You know, so I think everything within its time and now's the time, 100 percent. Yes, especially for certain um, countries in the region, including Qatar. Um, you have, of course, yeah. the UAE, Saudi Arabia. Other countries aren't quite there yet, like Iraq, which has an incredible history. Mm-hmm. Um, Lebanon, of course, not so stable either. Not quite ready to export yeah. anything. Um, do you think the Arab world is ready for musical theater, though, especially that it's in English? Um, it's a totally different crowd. I was watching the video today um, of Broken Wings. It's such a London, New York thing. How do you feel? What do you think about that? I think that it makes it so much more accessible. A, the fact that it's in English just makes sure that, you know, you, 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 you expand your audience base. So, you know, that everybody has access to it. Um, but also bringing it here and, and placing it within here, it makes that notion so much more accessible. You know, people travel to Broadway to go to a show. People travel to London to go to a show. Um, you've got West End or Broadway. And so, in order to really sort of push that drive towards creating um, cultural products, it needs to be something that people conceive of as accessible. You know, something that that they can actually um, they can actually engage with, and also that they can strive to create. That they're not so far away. So it's basically taking back our access to these markets and to these industries that we otherwise perceive that we don't because it's again the center is london or the center is um the center is broadway and who's to say that you can't create another center of musical theater in the arab world but in terms of it, the, the center for musical theater i think there are many possibilities i definitely see qatar as a possibility for one of those centers you know those places where we really take um all of our stories from all of her- arab heritage from iraq to Lebanon, to North Africa. And those are stories that I'm going to be telling quite soon, stories that that come from North African heritage, that come from Lebanese heritage, that come from Iraqi heritage. I mean, Iraq is the first civilization, the first known like city structure was Uruk in Iraq. You know, Babylon and Hammurabi, the Hanging Gardens, all of these features, all of these rich cultural um, stories need to come back and they need to come back on that level and not just for the Middle East, but for the rest of the world. 
A lot of people have discovered your music on Qatar Airlines, where you have a channel. You're actually, I think, their official composer, right? Yep. That's really cool. That's really cool, by the way. Um, Thank you. It looks kind of, it looks like you're creating a, like a blueprint in a way for a new generation of musical talent in the Arab world um, when it comes to having a career in music where you can actually, you know, make a living off of this creativity. But why did you become a musician and a composer? And what made you think you could succeed at taking this unusual journey? It answered your second question because I didn't know any better. Um, so <laughs> I guess um, it helps growing up over here. Obviously, probably if I grew up in um, in London or in New York, I would just be so, you know, you're, you're told constantly that, okay, there's so much competition. You got to do so much. You got to, so you don't really have the chance to stop and listen to yourself and be like, okay, well, if I want to do this, what is, what is it that I can offer? What is it that I can contribute Um, and then to go back to the first question, why did I decide to do this? I was always working in the family business. So, you know, this whole color and stones thing is not so far from what I was doing. Um, my, I did my postgraduate studies in gemology because my family were in jewelry and real estate. And, um, it was always understood that I was going to join the family business. My, my bachelor's was in uh, political science and international relations. Um, so After gemology, I started working for the family business. And then one day, um, well, I got married and then I got a child. And when I was pregnant with my child, I woke up one morning and I was like, how am I going to interact with this girl, this little girl, if I'm not identifying? How am I going to identify with this girl in an honest, open fashion, if I haven't identified with my own truth. And the only way that I can truly express myself is through music. And honestly, honest to God, I had no idea until I was pregnant. Like I genuinely had, I was always dabbling in it. I always loved it. I always played the piano. I made up little melodies here and there, but I never understood that that was the primary driving force behind my internal narrative, behind my internal construction system. Um, And the only way that I can identify with that is to deconstruct it. And that was my first album. It was called Paint. So I just woke up one morning. Um, I called up my parents and I'm like, guys, I hope you understand. Uh, I'm a musician. Always have been, but that's what I'm going to be pursuing right now. And obviously, you know, you tell that to Arab parents and they're just like, um, it's called a hobby. And you're like, no, that's actually what I'm going to do for a living. Um, but bless them. They were super supportive, like right from the beginning. Obviously, there was they were apprehensive, um, cautious, and and there were some barriers. But but once you know, once the primary barriers were were transcended, they were always. I mean, right from the beginning, they never they never discouraged me. So they've been they've been super supportive, and increasingly and progressively so, as time went by, and as they really related to the nature of of my work and my art. Um, and yeah, and then Qatar Airways took that on board and they wanted to also create um, a bespoke DNA, a human representation of what the airline is, because at the end of the day, that's what we all are, right? It doesn't matter whether you're in a, you're in a business, you're an airline, you're in aviation, whatever industry you are, the only way you can relate to people is on the human level, rather than, you know, standing behind this corporate sort of structure, this corporate um, uh, shell. So we deconstruct that and we go to the human and that's the, that's the power of music. That's the role of music. And that's what I always wanted to, to do. So that was why I set out was to 
bring the person into the forefront. That's why I set out to be an artist. And yeah, it's, it's, it's proven that you can actually make a living out of it. Um, you know, you, music is, is a product at the end of the day, like anything else, it's a highly competitive environment for sure, especially internationally. It's, it's very competitive, but if you believe in what you do, you listen to yourself, you listen to that intuitive voice, that voice that tells you, you know what, this is the right path for you. Then it is that voice tells you otherwise don't go there. Keep your day job. <laughs> and yeah, it's uh, it requires a lot of commitment and belief. And and a level a level of delusion too. You gotta have that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're delusional. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's really amazing. Um, I Long may that continue. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, it's really amazing. What a great story you have, and and your your work is just um, so impressive. Dana Alfardan, I'm really looking forward to the Rumi musical. I know a lot of people are, and I wish you the best of luck with everything you're doing. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and can't wait to invite you to opening night of Rumi. That would be awesome. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. That's it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to check out Dana Alfardan's music. We always try to bring you the Middle East's most game-changing people and stories. So don't forget to follow the podcast before you go today. See you next time. <laughs>